This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Just before we bring in Jim Crisco, let's get to a couple of news stories. Of course, we started the show talking about some news abroad at the G20 conference and the ASEAN conference and the COP27 conference. But there's plenty going on around the Ottawa area as well, dealing with federal politics. Let's begin with the House of Commons Justice Committee looking to review Canada's extradition system. Laurie Paris explains. Although hearing dates have yet to be set, the committee plans to hear from witnesses in at least three sessions that could begin before the end of the year. Legal and human rights experts say Canada's extradition procedures need a thorough overhaul to ensure fairness, transparency and a balance between a desire for administrative efficiency and vital constitutional protections. In a report released last year, Voices Calling for Change highlighted a number of problems with how proceedings unfold under the 1999 Extradition Act, criticizing the system as inherently unjust. Laurie Paris, the Canadian Press. And one more story having to do with federal politics. Voting is underway for leadership of the federal Green Party. Rob Westgate takes a closer look. Six candidates are vying for the position, including the party's former leader, Elizabeth May. The winner is expected to be announced next Saturday. The party's internal conflicts and difficulties raising money have hung heavy over the race, but the candidates are optimistic about the future. Former leader Annamie Paul resigned almost exactly a year ago after a disappointing showing in the 2021 federal election. The Greens are the country's fifth largest federal party, holding just two seats in the House of Commons. Rob Westgate, the Canadian Press. So we've been all over the country today. We've been to Toronto a couple of times, to Montreal a few times, a film review from Vancouver, B.C., well, let's put roots down in Edmonton, Alberta, to catch up with AMI content development specialist Jim Crisco to find out what's happening in the West and the prairies. Hey, good morning, Jim. Good morning, Dave. Uh, Jim- Dave, can I point out for you before we start? Uh, next week, we're going into the Grey Cup, and uh, one of the teams is from my region. And it's almost impossible not to have a team from my region. The only team <laughs> in the West outside of it is Vancouver. But I still take great pride in that. that the west the the central region will be represented at the great cup i was going to ask you great cup questions a little bit later so jim hold that <laughs> thought hold that thought let's eat our vegetables before we have our dessert shall we jim let's uh let's jump over into manitoba where there's a new pilot project that's being launched that's aiming to bridge some gaps in services for adults with disabilities what could, what do you want to tell us about the program well, this program, uh, it's being launched. It's, right now, it's a pilot program, so they're, they're giving it a, uh, a try. It's, it's called the IAS, Integrated Adult Services. And what they're looking at is, is they're going to be um, monitoring or, or um, working with 30 adults living uh, in the Winnipeg Health region. And they're going to be looking at how to provide the best service, uh, health services to them holistically, um, so that they can, uh, you know, have the easiest, uh, best experience with the system and get the best health care possible uh, based on their needs. So this is the pilot program that's starting to analyze and, uh, and see what they come up with. What pushed the government to finally move on this issue? 
Well, it, it, the, the sad part is what what pushed them to to work work on it or, or move on it was a settlement um, with Tyson Sylvester and Amelia Hampton, who in 2016 filed a human rights complaint alleging that gaps in the provision of of services and supports to adults adult Manitobans with disabilities, particularly those with complex disability related needs, created systemic barriers to equality. Um, and you know, when you look at it, you think it, it took a human rights complaint to have them analyze the system to make sure that the system or to ensure the system was treating everyone equitably. And uh, and so I, I, I think to me that's, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to be cynical, but that's a little sad that it took a human rights complaint to actually create this. But the fact of the matter is the good thing is it's created now and they'll be looking at it and, and hopefully make coming up with some really, you know, meaningful, progressive things to do. Jim, as you mentioned, it's one of these moments where cynicism will kick in that when a government is obligated to do it by a human rights complaint, it's a little bit different than say, oh, we had this great policy idea, um, which then oftentimes will lead advocates to say, well, I want to applaud, but what am I applauding for exactly? So how are disability advocates in Manitoba reacting to the news? Actually, by what I understand, what I can uh, I, I can gather out of this is it is positive. It, they they are actually happy with it. Um, they they've they've been brought into the uh, like many many of these uh, advocates have been brought in for the solution to to help work on this. Um, there is a, a quote from Dave Cron, who's the chair of the Pilot Project Steering Committee, and he's the executive director from the Cerebral Palsy Association of Manitoba. And he said the collaboration between the complainants, community partners, service providers, and the Manitoba government will lead to a fulsome project over the coming years. So I think that it's been well received. It's it's you know long overdue for sure, but uh, it does look like they have everything in place to come back with some actual, um, you know, probably very, very good things that they can put in place. Let's hop over to Saskatchewan and move to the world of Paris sports, where Logan Edwards has been gaining some notoriety, notoriety as a multi-sport athlete. So Jim, why is Logan gaining so much traction? Well, you know what? It's, it's a, it's just a, a, a really cool story about Logan. He's a, a 15 year old, uh, and he, very athletic and, and involved. Uh, he, he was in football, baseball, uh, basketball. Uh, and about a year ago, um, he uh, lost vision in one of one eye uh, from a, a sporting accident. And uh, he basically didn't miss a stride. Uh, as soon as, you know, they, they sort of went through the, uh, the, the, the diagnosis and the, um, you know, he went through the recovery phase he started playing his sports again. And so I thought it was a really cool story. First of all, uh, I love, uh, you know, para-athletes who are, are, so many of them are multi-sport athletes mm -hmm. and, and uh, they just, you know, excel and it, it, it takes, you know, these are, are three different, very distinct sports. And he, uh, you know, he's obviously very, very, very uh, accomplished athlete. But the other thing too is, is, you know, he looked at it as, uh, by the sounds of it, he didn't, it didn't miss a beat. He just, he just wanted to continue playing. So he did. 
The parasport movement is one that really tries to identify the passion for play and those who enjoy sports before they may acquire a disability should still be able to continue to enjoy sports. That's what the entire parasport movement is about beyond, of course, just great competition and great activity and world-class athletes showing off their skills that the part of it is the joy of sport, the joy of competition. So absolutely fantastic to see someone after going through a traumatic injury, being able to continue that love and that passion of sport. That's what it's all about. But this does not happen without support. So how has his brother been a huge contributor to Logan maintaining that love of sports? Well, his, bro- his brother Aiden, uh, it, you know, is, as you said, uh, the, a great support to him, full support to him. And uh, and he was he was there beside him through the whole way. He, he said his description of Logan was that, that he never lost faith in his ability to play Um or succeed in sports. So, uh, Aiden was there to, to, to beside him to say, yeah, you can do this. And you know, if there's anything you need me to help you do as far as, you know, practicing or, uh, or, or trying to come up with any kind of adaptations, uh, I'll do it. And, uh, you know, that it, it sounds very much sounds like, um, his whole family was supportive of what he was doing, but of course his parents and his grandparents were a little bit more reluctant, like, uh, you know, should, should you be playing some of these sports where his brother Aiden said, no, you, you, you're an athlete, go do it. And, uh, and he did. So it's beautiful to see that. And Logan was recently offered up recognition of his work and commitment to sports. What was he awarded? He was uh, awarded. Uh, it was an award for perseverance in sports uh, by baseball Saskatchewan last year and uh and you know they were saying that himself and his family were just thrilled with it that that they recognized this he was so happy he loves baseball uh clearly uh and um one thing is uh that i thought was was uh interesting is there's one sport that the um uh that the doctors and, and family told him that he shouldn't do uh and and that was boxing they said, you know, maybe draw the line at boxing, and and uh, I I fully respect that. Uh, I I used to uh, to train in boxing a bit when I was younger, and and um, yeah, you definitely want to be able to see the punches coming from everywhere. Yes, people will not pull their punches on you. They'll still hit you with that jab or that hook, uh, whether you can see it coming or not. There's there's no doubt about that one. Maybe maybe try grappling. Maybe go to the jujitsu ju- <laughs> or judo or wrestling as an alternative to uh, to the boxing if you're looking for that kind of physical competition through and through. All right, Jim, we've got about three minutes here, and you did indeed mention that the Grey Cup was set. We spoke about it a little bit with Brock Richardson uh, earlier this hour, but Jim, I know you are a CFL fanatic. That is your bread and butter through and through. So what do you make of this matchup going into this weekend between the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Toronto Argonauts? Well, I, I have to tell you that Toronto is a huge underdog in this. The, the Winnipeg is a powerhouse team right now, uh, and they're playing at the top of their game. Their ground game is unbelievable if you can't stop their ground game you don't have a chance and and we saw that yesterday with uh vancouver mm-hmm. they just ate them up on the ground uh so you know it, it, they, they are a juggernaut now having said that uh if uh, the, there was an interesting statistic yesterday in the game that i think the toronto argonauts have not lost on a visit to the great cup in like eight or more visits oh like, wow that they have an incredible record of Grey Cup wins if they make it to the Grey Cup. So, 
you know, this might be one of those really interesting match matchups. And when it comes down to it, we're playing, um, we're playing football on the prairies on what will potentially be a really cold day. So that, that hits both teams equally, although Winnipeg probably is practiced in that environment a little bit more, but, uh, anything can happen. I, I, I don't, I don't take, uh, Toronto out of it. I would I would say that they're they are huge underdogs, but it's the Grey Cup and we've seen the Grey Cup end in in weird ways oh, yeah. before on, oh, on yeah. you know missed field goals or too many men on the field and and uh so who knows? I I I if if I was you know a betting man if if you will, I would I would say Winnipeg probably, but uh I'm really curious to see it cuz I think Toronto's, you know, they deserve to be there and who knows? Jim, you mentioned the winter conditions. It's one of the things that makes the CFL and the Grey Cup so interesting at playoff time. In the NFL, you do occasionally get some weird weather in the playoffs in places like Buffalo or Green Bay with outdoor stadiums. But it's rare, rare, rare that you get weird conditions during a Super Bowl. Maybe a little rain in Miami. There was some slush and sleet in New York a couple of years ago. But typically, it's played in a dome inside pristine conditions. The CFL is the opposite. The CFL, you've been playing in heat and humidity all summer. And the next thing you know, you're playing in a minus 20 game in Regina on a Sunday in November. Absolutely. And you know, the, 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 the thing is too, with a lot of the players, they're not from that climate. They may be from, you know, Southern U S uh, and, and it's, it's not a climate that they're used to playing in. They have played in it if they play in the CFL at all uh, for any length of time, but yeah, it's going to be a, it, it'll be a factor for sure. Well, Jim, enjoy it. I think about folks like you on a great cup Sunday guys who've been following the sport all year long with the close lens. So enjoy it. And we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Dave. That's Jim Crisco, an AMI content development specialist, joining us in Edmonton, Alberta. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.